go ahead and start by reading from Hebrews 13, verses 1 through 6. It says, let brotherly love continue. Do not forget to entertain strangers, for by doing some have unwittingly uh, entertained angels. Remember the prisoners as if chained with them, those who are mistreated, since you yourselves are in the body also. Marriage is to be honorable among all, and the bed undefiled, but fornicators and adulterers, God will judge. Whoop, there went the black flag, right? Let your conduct be without covetousness. Be content with such things as you have, for he himself has said, I will never leave you or forsake you. So we may boldly say, the Lord is my helper. I will not fear. What can man do to me? You know, when I look at Hebrews 13 through 6, I see it basically saying, hey, guys, how about let's act like Christians, right? Let's act with brotherly love toward other people, whether it's strangers or prisoners, act like Christians in our marriage and act like Christians in our character of how we lead ourselves. With strangers, as we talked about in our homework, some have entertained angels. When it was talking about Abraham and Sarah, we think is what it may have been referring back to, but we're just called to entertain strangers and not to judge about the prisoners and the ill-treated. It says, act as if you are bonded to them, chained to them. Can you imagine? How different would it be? How different would we treat people in prison if we we looked at them as if we're chained with them? Because of the way this is written in in Hebrews 13, it kind of sounds like it's a time, well, we know it now time when they were dealing with so much persecution that many Christians were in jail 100% because of their belief. And those who were out of jail, this mess, like we are today, by the way, <laughs> where he's saying, hey, treat them like you would yourself in that situation because it could be you next. Who knows? The marriage, we should, our marriages should look like shining flags themselves, that others could see them as undefiled. And then, of course, you yourself, it says, avoid the love of money. Why would it say avoid the love of money? And then the very next verse, it says, uh, so we boldly say, the Lord is my helper. I will not fear what command do to me. It sounds like it's out of left field. All of a sudden, we go back to some Old Testament verse, the Lord is my helper. I shall not fear. Why would that be right after the love of money? Well, because too often people say money is my helper. I have nothing to fear. I'm in control of my future because of all this money I have. I can tell everybody to do what they what I want them to do. And the Lord is vanished. So I say that Christ did for us should be evident in all of our actions. I think that's what they're really saying here. It's kind of like the opposite of what they say in Vegas, right? They're saying what happens inside of us should not stay inside of us. It should be evident to those around us. Moving on to verse seven, it says, remember those who rule over you, who have spoken the word of God to you, whose faith follow, considering the outcome of their conduct. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Do not be carried away about with various and strange doctrines, for it's good that the heart be established by grace, not with foods with or which have not profited those who have been occupied with them. We have an altar from which those who serve the tabernacle have no right to eat. What's he saying there? You got to understand, he's talking to people who value people who are sitting in the tabernacle. And they're like, wow, these guys are real leaders. And he's saying, we serve a tabernacle. Most people aren't, they don't have a right to eat because our altar is Christ. 
already done it for us. We don't have to worry about, we're not looking up to that role anymore. For the bodies of who's the animal, those whose blood is brought into the sanctuary by the high priest for sin are burned outside the camp. Therefore, Jesus also, that he might sanctify the people with his own blood, suffered outside of the gate. Therefore, let us go forth to him outside of the camp, bearing his reproach. For here we have no continuing city, but we seek the one to come. Therefore, by him, let us continually offer the sacrifice of praise to God, that is, the fruit of our lips, giving thanks to his name. So what did he sacrifice to God? How did he define that? The fruit of our lips, giving thanks to his name, is a sacrifice to God, that that was sufficient, not all the animal killing. But do not forget to do good and to share, for with such sacrifices, God is well pleased. Ladies, I feel like what he's saying here is, remember Jesus. Remember what has been done for you. Imitate our leader's faith. When you first see that, it says, for Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. I don't know. Maybe I'm the only one who reads stuff like this, but I'm this, and all of a sudden I go, why is that in there? Like, it feels like such an outside statement for Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. But when he compares that or contrasts that right to the leaders that we're following, he's basically saying, these are mortal men. Jesus is the same forever. Those who are worshiping men follow or worshiping Jesus, follow them because he will be here forever. It's never going to change again. This is it. Follow Jesus. Remember him yesterday, today, and forever. Yesterday, Jesus died for our sin. Today, Jesus reigns next to the Lord God Almighty on his right hand in heaven. And tomorrow, we will be with him in heaven. Yesterday, today, forever. Don't forget Jesus. The next one, don't get carried away by false teaching. You know, I've heard some pretty wacky teaching around. I'm sure you have. I don't need to tell you about that. that would just, they would, they would be amazing to people who aren't even in our belief system. Like, you know, men who have millions of wives out there or, you, you know what I'm saying? There's some false teaching all throughout our country, but recently, and in the, in the always, I should say, I'm so impressed with someone who will recognize the false teaching and turn away from it and come to correct teaching in the word of God. That has got to be one of the hardest things. We just had somebody get baptized here recently in the last six weeks, and they told a little bit of their story, and they were just saying how it's such a culture, that cult, that religion that I was a part of was such a culture. I felt like they were saying, I feel like I left my mother and my father and my sister and my brother. I'm not invited to Sunday lunch anymore. But I will be with Jesus in heaven. And I know it. And that's what each of us is called today. To, today, Don't get carried away with false teaching. Be strengthened with grace. Grace, you may have been told, is being given what we don't deserve. I've heard it said that mercy is whenever we are not given what we do deserve because we all would deserve to go to hell. And the only way that we cannot is because Christ died for us and gave us that mercy that lets us live and look forward to heaven when we believe in him. But grace is being given what we don't deserve. I like to say that the way that they're saying it here is get carried away with grace. Get carried away with it. I, did you know the Lord loves you? Who are we? That the God of the universe, the one who said, let there be 
light. Let there be a world. Let there be water. Let there be human. The one who said all that knows your name, cares for you, knows how many hairs there are on your head. (laughs) Who am I that he would be mindful of me? Why did he allow the sun to rise and carry North Carolina today? Why would he give us the, the gift of even getting to gather today? How do I get to be so blessed as to be called an heir with Jesus Christ? Are you kidding me? How is it possible that he wrote my name on the book of life? Grace. Do you recognize that gift? When Christ died on the cross, he said, it is finished. That meant that there was full reconciliation for you and for me to be with God forever. We're no longer separated. We don't have to worry about the black flag because we are one with him. Full ability for us to be filled with the Holy Spirit with zero separation. He took the punishment, the one that I deserved. I'm guessing the one that you deserved because it's finished. It's been paid for. What glory. Can I get an hallelujah? All right. We are called to be outside of the gate. In verse 13, it says, therefore, let us go forth to him outside the camp, bearing his reproach. Now, you might remember that reproach is the expression of disapproval or disappointment, right? Going outside the camp draws disapproval. To me, it reminds me of the dump in Guatemala where I served for a week a few years ago. And it was like this place that was just nasty. You could smell it miles away when you're driving up to it. And it would be like saying, go dump, where they dump all the dead bodies, where they dump all the junk from the city, where they dump, go outside of your comfort zone and go out there. Now it's referring to outside of the gate, which in Exodus 29, 14, we remember reading about the sin offering, but the flesh of the bull with its sin and its awful O-F-F-A-L, which probably smelled O or A-W-F-U-L, um, you shall burn with fire outside of the camp. It is a sin offering. In Leviticus 4.12, it uses the same uh, referral to outside the camp. It says the bull, uh, he shall carry outside the camp to to a clean place where the ashes are poured out and burn it on wood with fire where the ashes are poured out and it shall be burned. So why would the writer of Hebrews tell them, the Hebrews, and in essence telling us, why would he tell us to go outside of the gate? Even if there's reproach, disdain from man. Because going against the grain for the purpose of Christ is what we're called to. Dr. Bookman said it this way about the book of Hebrews. He said, the the theme of Hebrews is it's time to leave the temple. And here, what he's saying is it's time to get out of the camp. Get out of where you feel all comfortable, where you've been doing this for years, and go to a new place. I can't imagine how tough it would be to leave your father and your mother and your sister and your brother who are maybe in there sacrificing and they're telling you, you're going the wrong way. You need to do this, this animal thing. You need to be at this temple. You need to do all this stuff. And now he's telling them it's okay. Go outside of the camp. Jesus did it first and he wants you to follow. In other words, don't dilute what Jesus has already finished with a bunch of extra stuff for us. Going outside of the camp probably means, sticking to values that the world does not admire. It probably means defining your family the way a family should be defined, the way that it's defined in the Bible. I've seen my adult children dealing with this, unmarried. People will say to them, literally, you're a virgin? Why? 
You know why? Hebrews 13 verse 14 tells us, for here we have no continuing city, but we seek the one to come. And I'm so grateful that those adult children are seeking the one to come. But ladies, they need our prayers. It's not the first time that we've heard about this city to come. We read about it in chapter 11. Remember the heroes of the faith? By faith, he was talking about Abraham, lived as an alien in the land of promise, as in a foreign land, dwelling in tents with Isaac and Jacob, fellow heirs of the same promise, for he was looking for the city which has foundations, whose architect and builder is God. How about in verse 16 of that same chapter, it says, but as it is, they desired a better country, that is a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared a city for them. Stephen Davey covered a little bit of this in his sermon when he was talking about James chapter five, but I love what he says about that last line, that verse 16 that I just read from chapter 11. He says, that line is incredible. God is not ashamed to be called their God. That's a blessing that awaits us one day as believers in Christ. Far more precious than a new heaven and a new earth. Far greater than the glorified bodies we will receive, which will be hot, ladies. Even better than that, when we step into immortality, vastly superior to the fact that we will be finally perfected and safely home is the fact that God will not be embarrassed to call us his. He will, in fact, be proud. What amazing grace is that? Christ said it is finished, but it doesn't mean that our following him is going to be easy. We just can't waste what he's already done. Moving on to verse 17, obey those who rule over you and be submissive, for they watch out for your souls as those who must give an account. Let them do with joy and not with grief, for that would be unprofitable for you. Pray for us, for we are confident that we have a good conscience in all the desiring to live honorably. But I especially urge you to do this, this that I may be restored to you sooner. Obey and submit. Those are not words we hear in our world today, but we see them in the Bible quite a bit, don't we? So just even using those words is kind of like, whoa, there's a Christian, right? But obedience doesn't create faith. It's evidence of it proves our faith whenever we are doing what we're called to do. Prove, the word prove in the dictionary means to demonstrate the truth or existence of something by evidence or argument. So when we have faith, it's evidenced by our obedience. Oswald Chambers said, the life of faith isn't so much one of mounting up like wings of eagles as it is of walking and not fainting. Faith never knows where it's being led, but it loves and knows the one with a capital O who's leading it. Isn't that so true? We feel like we should be rising up and mounting on wings of eagles, like we can do anything, we can go anywhere. But I'll tell you, there are plenty of days if I can just not faint, I'll be happy because I know God is leading. Hudson Taylor, the missionary to China, said, if we're obeying God, the responsibility lies on him and not on us. Doesn't that just circle around beautifully back to how we began with brotherly love? That when we obey what we're told to do in loving others, that account for that, what comes out of that, the results of that is all in God's hands when we obey what we're told to do. Finally, he says, pray for us that I may be restored sooner. What does he mean restored sooner? We really don't know because the writer doesn't even tell us who he is or where he is or anything about him. I guess he tells us he's in Italy, but still, he doesn't tell us much. Was he in jail? 
Maybe. Was he having massive health problems? Maybe. We don't know. We just know that he wasn't restored at that moment. But it kind of gives you perspective of why he would be writing, love these people. Don't we know people, you and I, who are in the jail of health problems right now? Or maybe they're in jail in some other way. They're trapped by their sin. Whatever it is, we can love them with brotherly love. But the principle here is that leaders lead us and they follow God, but they need our prayers. Leaders follow God as they lead us and we need to pray for them. Moving to the final section here, verse 20. Now may the God of peace who brought up our Lord Jesus Christ from the dead, that great shepherd of the sheep, through the blood of the everlasting covenant, make you complete in every good work to do his will, working in you what is pleasing in his sight through Jesus Christ, to whom be the glory forever and ever. Amen. Don't you wish we like ended all of our emails with something like that? <laughs> I just wish they were all just like, okay, tell me that again. What was that again? Anybody on the wisdom journey with me with Pastor Davey every morning? Yeah, he ends it all with the benediction similar to that. I love that. That would, that would be so great if we all just blessed each other that way. But he continues and says, and I appeal to you, brethren, bear with the word of exhortation, for I have written to you in a few words. Know that our brother Timothy has been set free. Another indication that possibly they were in jail with whom I shall see you if he comes shortly. Greet all those who rule over you and all the saints. Those from Italy greet you. Grace be with you all. Amen. So this benediction, it's kind of like just a, a benediction and an exhortation. It's the last little bit of this letter. He's basically saying, God be with you. Now you make sure you stick to God. Because if, if God's not with you, he's not the one who left, right? And so we have to make sure that we recognize it. He urges attention to the exhortation because ladies, once you recognize who Jesus Christ is and that he died for you, you're a new creature. It says in 2 Corinthians 5 verse 17, it says, you are a new creature. The old has passed away. It's not coming back anymore. And you're the new creature. Living by faith means doing right things, even in a wrong world. Let's review a little bit of what we've learned through our Bible reading so far. We know that God used a farmer in Genesis 9.20 to build the largest ship that any man had ever seen. What were the occupations of the apostles? Anybody? One was a doctor, fisherman, tax collector, good, killer of Christians. That was Paul, right? They did, did they seem like they would be like fired up for Jesus? Not one mason was found in our lists of Ezra and Nehemiah, but they did God's work of building what needed to be built. Esther was a Jewish orphan who became a Persian queen to get accomplished what God had planned in her role. Ezra was a priest who became a foreman. Nehemiah was a cupbearer who became a builder. The only qualification of any of those heroes of the faith that were listed is that they walked with God and God prepared them for everything else. God, through Jesus Christ, makes us complete. He calls us and then he equips the called. I'm so grateful that you're here because we get to be equipped together by staying in this word and moving forward together. And I have to tell you that I have seen some examples of brotherly love come out in what's happening overseas in the Ukraine right now. A little bit of the backstory although I'm sure more of you know more of it than I do. About two months ago, on February 24th, Russia attacked the Ukraine completely unprecedented and began driving tanks into towns. 
killing civilians, killing people everywhere, attacking hospitals that were just full of sick people. They were blowing them up. Unorganized bloodshed. I think that's a black flag, right? As of now, over 4 million people have left the Ukraine to seek safety. 50% of those who have left are children. There are no men going away because the men are staying to fight. So the women and the children are leaving, which has allowed a whole bunch of crime and evil to come up and use and become predators of these, these uh, unprotected people. The only ones that were left in the Ukraine are the men and the elderly who weren't well enough to evacuate. For me, it's easy to picture myself in that situation. Hard, but easy too. Like, I just think, I mean, I'd have to leave my son behind. I'd have my husband. I'd have to leave my grandson. I'd have, like, I would just be gone. All me, my, my daughter, like, that's crazy. I know some of those children's had, children had mothers who had passed away. So their dads are putting them on this, these evacuation buses all by themselves. So much so that some of them were writing the names of their children and their contact information on the kids' backs to try to get back with them whenever the war was done. And yet I see brotherly love in some of the surrounding countries. For example, in Romania, there's a bridge that was set up with toys marking the path across the river so the children could take a toy as they went into their new refugee camp. But I have personal friends <clears throat> who run a charity in Italy, and I've watched some of their stories, and it's just, I, I like the personal touch. It's not that I don't believe everything I see online, but I don't believe everything I see online. These, I know, are real stories. They decided to set up camps for refugees. So they've been working with uh, sister charities, brothers in Christ. Somebody said today that brothers means from the brotherly love comes from the term of from the same womb. And yet here it is telling us to love Christians with brotherly love. We're from the same father. They're so they're, they're uh, brothers in Poland and Czech Republic for decades. And this was the time that they decided to use their network. So they started collecting donations and setting up places for the refugees from the Ukraine in Poland. First, the donations were gathered in the preparation. Then they made kitchens, kind of makeshift kitchens out of trucks so that they would be able to cook for people. And they also started organizing all of the donations into places where the people could come and get their right size clothing or whatever they needed. But the goodbyes had to be so hard when the people were leaving Ukraine. But thankfully, many, many cab drivers, taxi drivers, public transits all started offering free transportation to get these people out to end the selfless, sen uh, senseless killing in the Ukraine. I just can't imagine saying goodbye like they had to say goodbye. On this next screen, it's a bus ride of the, the friends of ours from an orphanage. And this was the email that he sent to us. He said, due to the constant danger of airstrikes, we traveled 500 kilometers to the Polish border without stopping. We didn't have any food with us, and the border officials made us wait 12 hours before we could leave. The children were so hungry, several collapsed with exhaustion. Upon resuming the journey, one of the buses broke down, causing further inconvenience. We stopped at McDonald's as soon as we got, could. And when the restaurant staff found out we were a Ukrainian, here comes the God hug. They, were, they found out we were from Ukraine carrying orphans and hungry children. They charged us half the bill, and all the kids got a free smoothie and fries. 
I read that to my boys and they said, they made them pay half. (laughs) But do you see missionaries responding with grace, with gratitude? I'm so thankful that we had something to eat. All the makeshift town with the makeshift beds, the makeshift kitchen and the donated supplies, along with the help of translators, they were able to receive donations for their physical need, counseling for their mental needs, and of course, spiritual leadership for their spiritual needs of a city that is to wait. Many towns offered them apartments, hotels, and houses. They were just opening up their own buildings to whatever they could for anybody who needed a place to stay. But the way that they showed that they were open for the refugees was a simple Ukrainian flag on the exterior of the building. And I just think, ladies, can you imagine after weeks of explosion around your hometown, you decide it's time to split the family and it's time to go. And you have the reproach of the enemies who are trying to kill you in all directions. You have to say those difficult goodbyes with an unknown future. There's airstrikes at you while you're trying to get away. And you wonder, what will we eat? What will we drink? How will we be clothed? The very questions that Jesus himself answered to us. And then you arrive seeing the familiar flag like a finish line, though temporary. I couldn't help but see a little bit of a parallel to heaven. Maybe when we get there, we've had to say some difficult goodbyes. Because sometimes people do get that white flag telling them this is your last lap around the sun. And it's time to say goodbye. But then you arrive in heaven and there you see those clouds of witnesses from Hebrews 4. And you see Abraham and Isaac and Noah. And you know them because of name tags. <laughs> There's someone that you knew standing there waiting for you after all these years. There's that child that preceded you. And he's there to welcome you. Your siblings, your late husband, your parents. But you look behind them with all of their flags waving. And you see a mansion with many rooms. And someone has prepared a place just for you. You don't have to have your name written on your back because they all know who you are. And it's already, your name is already written in the book. All the flags are racing, waving because it's the finish line and your race is done. But there in back of it all stands Jesus Christ, who you have been outside of the gate with all those years. And he's standing there and he is saying, well done, welcome home. That's the way I picture it being. Hebrews 4 says, Therefore, since the promise remains of entering his rest, let us fear that we would come short of it. I'll tell you, being righteous enough to enter heaven doesn't mean having everything right, but having faith in the one who does. I wanted to end with this chorus, or a verse in a chorus that you are probably familiar with. The verse goes like this, onward to the prize before us, soon his beauty will behold. Soon the pearly gates will open, we shall tread the streets of gold. When we all get to heaven, what a day of rejoicing it. When we all see Jesus, we'll sing and shout the victory. Yeah. <laughs> see you next year. <laughs>